Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. They were men of courage, and they were willing to lay down their lives in the midst of battle. Um, And they uttered inspiring words, words of inspiration that would be remembered through the ages. General Israel Putnam, Battle of Bunker Hill in 1775, riding horseback along the lines of the colonists. Don't fire until you see the what? The whites of their eyes. Captain John Paul Jones in 1779, standing on the bow of his ship, I have not yet begun to fight. General Sam Houston for the War of Texas's Independence. Remember the Alamo. Admiral David Farragut, Battle of Mobile Bay during the Civil War. He was told that the waters were full of mines. They called them torpedoes in that day. He said, darn the torpedoes, he said something else, but darn the torpedoes, full steam ahead. There was another man. He was not a captain. He was not a general. He was not an admiral. He was a king. And he wasn't standing on a ship, and he wasn't riding on a horse but he came riding on a donkey. And he came riding into Jerusalem to the cheers of thousands and thousands of people, adoring fans, some followers, waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He was riding into battle, courageously riding into battle, unflinching and unwavering because he knew what was to come. He knew those cheers by the end of the week would turn into screams and shouts of crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. He was riding that day into the greatest battle ever fought in the history of the world. Please understand that. It was a battle against sin and death. And it was a battle to save you from the penalty that you deserve for your sin. It it was a battle to save your soul from the judgment of hell. And in the midst of this battle, the king will die. He's captured and he's executed on the cruelest instrument of execution ever devised by a man. His face is swollen from taking a beating. His beard's been pulled out. His back is lacerated and bleeding. His hands and feet are throbbing because of those spikes through them. His face is covered in blood from where they crushed that thorns crown on his scalp. People are mocking and jeering and insulting him all day long. His friends have abandoned him. And in the midst of this battle, as he hangs there, in the midst of this bloodshed, he will say seven things, seven phrases, seven words that echo into time and eternity. And they are words that inspire and they are words that teach us and they are words that encourage us and they are words that challenge us and they are, they are words for us to follow. These words were spoken as he bleeds and I've titled this message, Words of Red from the Cross of Christ. The first words are words of intercession and mercy. Luke chapter 23. Luke tells us, good old Dr. Luke, When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And then Jesus said these words, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. Notice the place. It's just called the skull. It's a location where they would rid society of the refuse. It's where they put criminals down, put them out of their misery. It was a place of execution, place of death, place of blood. This was a place of torture. And this is a place where you would hear the screams and moans of dying men. The cries of, no, stop. Hate-filled vulgarities would fill the air, cursing at their executioners. 
and you would hear weeping. You would hear deep sobbing, inconsolable tears of the suffering, dying men. And in this desert of death blooms a flower. It is the flower of forgiveness. Almost like a a crocus in early spring blooming from under the bitter cold and snow. So the flower of forgiveness blooms amidst the bitterness and brokenness of this place called the skull. And what does Jesus do? He voices a prayer. He prays. But he doesn't pray for himself. He prays for others. I want to encourage you to learn from Jesus. I want to encourage you to turn the desert of your pain and the desert of your bitterness into an oasis of intercession. Bloom, child of God. Start blooming under the cold, harsh treatment of others. Start blooming and turn your place of pain into a place of prayer. So, so pray from the pain of your sickbed. Pray from the midst of your broken marriage. Pray from the office that you dread going to. Pray from the school you don't want to go back to. Pray from the neighborhood you'd rather not live in. Pray from whatever pain you are experiencing in your life and let that flower bloom. And he calls out. And he calls out to his father. See, never lose sight of your father when you are going through times of pain and suffering. Jesus is in constant communion and communication with his father. He will refer to his father 142 times in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He will do it six times in the high priestly prayer of John 17. Father, 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 Father. Pray to your Father. And learn to pray when you can do nothing else but pray. See, Jesus' hands can no longer serve people. They can no longer comfort people. His hands can no longer touch people. They are nailed. He can no longer heal people with a touch of his hand. But you know what he can do? He can pray. See, Jesus' feet can no longer travel. They can no longer walk. They can no longer take the good news. But he can pray. Would you learn to pray? When you can no longer physically serve, you can pray. When you can no longer go somewhere, you can pray. When your body is broken and sick, when you're close to death, you can pray. See, as long as you have life and you have breath, you have purpose and you can pray. No more self-pity. No more pride and selfishness. If you have life and you have breath, you have purpose from God and you can pray. And so bloom in your desert of pain. And Jesus prays. Notice what he doesn't pray for. He doesn't pray for pity for himself. He doesn't pray for deliverance. He doesn't pray for a quick death, God. He doesn't pray for vengeance. Father, kill them. You see what they're doing to me. Show no mercy to them. He does just the opposite. He prays for mercy. He prays for forgiveness. Father, forgive them. See, forgiveness was his mission. That's why he came. It was to the paralytic lying on the stretcher in Matthew 9, he would say, have courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. It was to the woman kissing his feet and wiping them with her hair and her tears and anointing his head with perfume, he would say in Luke 7, your sins are forgiven. He said it to the man, he said it to the woman, he said it to numerous people. And that's what he hangs on the cross for for you and for me to forgive us. He's just passed the communion cup not long ago. In Matthew 26, drink from it, he told his disciples, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That's why he came, to forgive. And you need to understand he came for you, to forgive you. Ephesians 1, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Colossians 1, the end of the verse, verse 14. 
In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 1 John 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every sin you have ever committed, everything you have ever done wrong in your life, every word you should have never spoken, God will forgive you. God can forgive you. God came to forgive us. And he says, Father, forgive them. Who are the them? The Jewish authorities who've lied and condemned him. The Roman leaders and soldiers who've abused him and tortured him. Father, forgive them. General public who are mocking and ridiculing and insulting him. What does this mean, Father, forgive them? Does this mean that everyone right then was immediately forgiven? Does this mean everybody in this world is automatically forgiven? Does this mean everybody goes to heaven? No. For God doesn't forgive those who do not repent of their sins. You must humble your heart. And you must ask for God's forgiveness. He can't forgive unless you ask for it. So what does this mean? It means, Father, work in their hearts. It means convict them of their sin. It means draw them to yourself in salvation, for they do not understand. Do you know what Jesus is teaching us? He's teaching us, do not hold on to your hatred and do not hold on to your bitterness. Do not hold on to the hatred and bitterness toward those who've lied to you and lied about you. Do not hold on to your hatred and bitterness toward those who have abused you and used you. Do not hold on to your hatred and bitterness toward those who have mocked you and slandered you and gossiped about you. Do not hold on to, what do you do instead? You pray. You pray. And Jesus is practicing what he preached on the Sermon on the Mount. He preached a message. Part of that message is recorded in Luke 6. I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. He says, do as I did and do as I say. I want you to look past their cruelty and see their confusion. I want you to look past your personal pain and I want you to see their souls in need of God's mercy and in need of the Father's forgiveness. And the best way for you and I to handle the pain of our enemies is to pray for our enemies. Words of read from the cross of Christ are words of intercession and mercy. Father, forgive them. They are also words of hope and heaven. We see again in Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 39. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God since you're undergoing the same punishment? We're punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. We have a dialogue between three men being executed at the same time on a place called the skull. The first criminal hanging there is yelling insults at Jesus. Could there be anything more foolish than to use your last dying breath to insult somebody else and to insult the one who is God in the flesh who you will stand before in judgment? How many people waste their last dying breaths voicing bitter words from bitter hearts, complaining about life and slandering people and even blaming God for their problems? Use your final breaths to praise your God, to thank him, and to repent of any sin and make things right with others. And that's what the second criminal does. He speaks up, but he has changed. For he also was insulting Jesus. We're told in Matthew 27, in the same way even the criminals, plural, who were crucified with him, taunted him. So he's changed. And now he is rebuking the first criminal on the other side of Jesus. 
He says, don't you fear God? Don't you even fear God? Do you know what he's saying here? Don't you recognize there is a coming judgment? Do you not understand you are going to stand behold before a holy God and he is going to judge you? Get that, every single person listening. Hebrews 9, just that it is appointed for people to die once and after this, what? Judgment. Every unsaved person without a relationship with God will stand at the great white throne judgment of Revelation chapter 20. And the books will be presented in the book of life and they will be cast into the lake of fire. You also will be judged, Christian. You will stand before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. Not a judgment for heaven and hell, but a judgment for how you have lived your life. The stewardship of your life. What have you done with the spiritual gifts God has given you? What have you done with your life for the glory of God? Have you squandered and wasted the gifts God has given you? You will be judged by Jesus. Every single person will. Both believers and unbelievers. Notice this man. He acknowledges his guilt. We're punished justly. He blames no one else for his sin. He makes no excuses for his sin. You are well on your way to salvation when you can acknowledge your guilt and you stop blaming everybody else and you make no excuses anymore. And he recognizes Jesus is innocent. He's done nothing wrong. He's sinless. He's holy. And he turns to the Lord in verse 42, remember me, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Notice three things here. He is saved as he names the name of Jesus. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Only Jesus can save and you must call on the name of Jesus to save you. He is the one who has died for your sins. He is the only way to heaven. Notice secondly, he says, remember me. He is saved as he makes this humble request and he has to be remembered. It's usually not how you lead somebody to the Lord in a sinner's prayer. But this man is saved by saying, Lord, will you just remember me? See, nobody remembers him. Nobody cares about him. That's why he's being executed. He's a shame and an outcast to his family and society. And he says, Jesus, will you remember me? Jesus, will you care for me in the next life? Is what he is saying. You need to understand God loves you. And God will remember you in the next life. And God will care for you in the next life if you humble your heart and you call out to him. Notice next, he is saved as he places his faith in Jesus. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He believes in the king. And he believes in his kingdom. Jesus, you are the king of glory. Jesus, you are the Messiah. Two different responses. One thief rejects the Lord. One thief receives the Lord. Both men experience the exact same thing that day. They both see Jesus. They both watch his actions. They both listen to his words. Two different responses. The same thing will be true today for you online and for you here in person. You will either reject what is said today or you will receive what is said today. You will either reject the words of scripture and reject the truth and refuse to change your life with what you hear today or you will repent of any sin in your heart that God exposes by his spirit and he's already exposed some of your sin today and you need to receive it and say, Lord, I am sorry and I need to change and let him change you. He defends the Lord, he asks of the Lord, and then the Lord responds. And look at these words. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Do you know what this says? It's never too late. It's never too late to turn to Jesus. It is never too late to pray to him. It is never too late to believe in him. It is never too late to be forgiven by him. Truly, he says, mark my words, I tell you, this is very personal, today, today everything can change. Today, right now, everything can change. 
listen to this. You are not a hopeless case. Everything can change today. You are not a hopeless case. Everything can change right now. If you repent of any and all sin, and you say, God, save me. God, change me. Christian, your life can change now. Some of you have been flirting with all kinds of sin and things you should not be involved in, and God is saying it can change today, and it can change now. If you call on him, sincerely repenting of any sin, and especially for salvation, 2 Corinthians 6, see now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Do not wait. Call on the Lord today, you who need him, and let him save you. And today you will be with me in paradise. There is no soul sleep. You're with the Lord in heaven. The moment you die, with the Lord immediately, with the Lord eternally. 2 Corinthians 5, and we would prefer to be away from this body and at home with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Do you notice Jesus promises them so much more? (laughs) He says, would you just remember me? And Jesus says, I'm going to do so much more than that. You're going to be with me. And you're going to be with me in paradise. You're going to be with me in heaven. And you may say, what is heaven? What's it all about? That was last week's sermon, podcast it. (laughs) I preached on the end is awesome. Go back and just listen to what you have coming in heaven. I want you to notice something. I want you to notice there is a thing as a deathbed conversion. And this man has it. Now, I wouldn't recommend you wait that long because there is no guarantee you'll have the opportunity. Or as one Puritan said, there is one such case recorded that none need despair, but only one in Scripture that none might presume. Do not despair, but do not presume that you have another day. Call out to the Lord. I want you to notice something else, how this criminal was saved. Was he baptized? Answer. Was he a member of the church? Did he say the perfect sinner's prayer using the word repentance? Did he respond to an altar call? Did he put money in an offering plate? Did he serve as an usher, a greeter, a Sunday school teacher at the cafe at the church? Did he win the Timothy Award in Wana? Did he have all kinds of scripture memorized? Did he have last rites from some priest and being anointed and given communion? What did he have? He had Jesus. And that's all you need to be saved. Because you cannot save yourself. There are no good works that you can ever do to save yourself. You have nothing to offer to a holy God except your sinful soul. And a desperate cry to God to save you. And that's all you need. Offer him your sinful soul. And ask him to save you. And he will. See, salvation is Jesus plus nothing. And if you're here today and you think you're going to heaven because you're a good person, you're not going to heaven. You think you're going to heaven because of something you did? You're not going to heaven. It is Jesus And Jesus alone that gets you to heaven. Words of red from the cross of Christ. Words of intercession and mercy. Father, forgive them. Words of hope in heaven. Today you'll be in paradise. Thirdly, they are words of affection and restoration. The soldiers have crucified him and Jesus hangs mostly naked on this cross. Exposed to the elements. Exposed for all to see. Humiliated and shamed. The soldiers are gambling for his clothing. And we pick it up in John 19, 25. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved, that's John, standing there, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. And then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his house. The Lord sees Mary. And what does he see when he sees Mary? He sees a tormented soul. This is the woman who has loved her son from birth, a miraculous birth. 
who has kissed on him and coddled him and fed him and changed him and taught this divine child, the only perfect human to have ever lived. Not a sin has ever come across a lie from his lips in action from his life. And now she stands by the cross in disbelief, unable to do a thing but watch in horror as her son is brutally killed. And he's suffering like no human has ever suffered. He's suffering for the sins of the world. Simeon's prophecy has truly been fulfilled. When Jesus was eight years old, he was presented at the temple. And in Luke chapter two, Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul. And what a sword is piercing her soul right now. The ecstasy of his miraculous birth is eclipsed by the agony of his horrific death. He sees Mary and he cares for her. And he calls to her. And what does he say? He says, woman, not disrespectful. You need to understand he is first and foremost her creator God. And nowhere in scripture does he ever call her mom or mother. Mary is a human just like you and me, not to be worshiped and not to be prayed to. She is a sinner in need of salvation. From her own lips, she would pray in Luke chapter one, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my what? My savior. Who needs a savior but a sinner? Mary is a sinner in need of a savior, just like you are a sinner in need of a savior. And Jesus is so sensitive in his suffering. From the cross, from the brutality, from all of the pain, all of the blood, he looks at her and says, woman, here is your son. Man, in the midst of pain and suffering or discomfort, I tend to be very selfish and filled with self-pity, not Jesus. He is sensitive to the needs of others. I wanna encourage you to be sensitive in your suffering. In the midst of your suffering, see the needs of others. Learn to care for others and speak to the needs of others. He's sensitive, he's also very obedient in his suffering. He's living out the fifth commandment of Exodus 20, to honor your father and your mother. Proverbs 23, 22, listen to your father who gave you life and don't despise your mother when she is old. And he assures her, here is your son. In other words, it's gonna be okay. You will be provided for. See, most believe Joseph has died and she is a widow. And widows have fears and widows have concerns. What's gonna happen to me? Who's gonna take care of me? And Jesus is not only a good savior, He's a good son. So he cares for Mary, and then look what he does. The flip side of the coin is that he restores the disciple John. He restores him. And you may say, well, what does he need to be restored from? Well, he's abandoned Jesus, along with all the other disciples. Matthew 26, all the disciples deserted him and ran away. Mark 14, all deserted him and ran away. John had run away. John had abandoned Jesus just like everybody else. Now John has made his way back with his tail tucked behind his legs. And you notice Jesus? Jesus doesn't shame him. Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Jesus doesn't sarcastically say to him, well, John, nice to see you back. Where have you been? You know, I could have needed your help and support. You know, it's about time you showed up, John. You were the closest to me. You were part of the inner circle. Do you realize everyone is belittling everyone at the place of the skull? Criminals are going back and forth. Strangers walking by are insulting and mocking. Religious leaders are taunting. The entire scene at the crucifixion is one of constant insults, mocking, taunting. That's the scene. Just like our world today, isn't it? Constant mocking and insults and, and sarcasm at work, in the neighborhood, at school, on social media. And what is Jesus' response in the midst of all of this going on? Grace. He extends grace. I want to encourage you to be like Jesus 
and extend grace and not be like this world anymore. Give grace instead of an insult. Extend grace instead of sarcasm. And Jesus extends grace. And he entrusts the care of Mary into the hands of John. And when he does that, he restores, he restores relationship with John. He restores service to John. And some of you need to hear this this morning. You can be restored. The Lord wants to extend grace to you. Some of you have been away from God. You haven't been where you need to be spiritually. And God wants to extend grace and restore you. Some of you are ashamed of what you did this past week, this past month, maybe even this morning. And God wants to extend grace to you and restoration. God is full of grace. He has important work for you to do. You can be restored. So come back to Jesus and come back to the cross because he has paid the price for all of your sins. And take heart these words of red from the cross of Christ. Words of intercession and mercy, hope in heaven, affection and restoration. They are also words of sorrow and words of abandonment. See, spiritual darkness has descended. We're told in Matthew 27, those passing by are yelling insults and shaking their heads and the chief priests and scribes and elders are mocking. He trusts in God, let God rescue him now if he takes pleasure in him. He said, I'm the son of God. The criminals are taunting as well. There's just, he's under a barrage of verbal attack, constant physical attack, verbal attack. Spiritual darkness has descended and now physical darkness descends. We see it in Matthew 27. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Ali, Ali, lema sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? There's three hours of darkness. It is midnight at midday. Think of that. Sixth hour to the ninth hour, 12 noon to 3 p.m., midnight at midday. God turns the lights off, the greatest atrocity ever committed by humanity. And in the darkness, the darkness of that day, the darkness of that place, a loud cry rings out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And it is the first and only time Jesus does not refer to God as his father. What is this about? Has Jesus lost his faith? Has Jesus ceased to be God? No. This is not a cry of distrust, but a cry of distress. This is a cry of the agony of abandonment. And there are a few pains that compare to the pain of abandonment. Just ask a wife who's been abandoned by her husband. Just ask a husband about the pain of being abandoned by his wife. Just ask a friend who's been abandoned by another friend. Just ask a child who's been abandoned by a parent. There is a tearing at your soul. There is a ripping of your heart. And this is the first and only time in all of eternity there is a separation in the eternal bonds of the Trinity. There's a separation between the Father and the Son. The Father who had proclaimed, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, is now the same Father who has abandoned his Son. Why? Why the separation? Why this abandonment? Because on the cross, Jesus became sin. He took all of your sin, he became sin. He took all of my sin, he became sin. He took all of this world's sin and every human's sin. He became sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made the one who did not know sin, completely pure, holy, sinless, Jesus, to be sin for us. 
1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And so the Father, in utter thrice holiness, holy, 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 can't look upon the Son in utter sinlessness. And so he abandons him. He looks away from him. God turns his face away from his son because God turned his face away from your sin, from my sin. Please comprehend the utter disgust our holy God has for our sin. Your sin is reprehensible to a holy God. He despises it. He hates it. And he judges it with a divine fury. Fury cast on the Son of God because of your sin and mine. Isaiah 53, the Lord has punished him for the iniquity, the sins of us all. See, we should be judged by a holy God for all of our sin. Instead, our holy God took all of our sin and was judged for us. This is the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ the sacrifice of the Son of God for you and for me. I want to encourage you. Turn from any and all sin in your life. Have nothing to do with sin. Do not flirt with it. Do not play around with it. Make no excuses for it. Stop blaming other people for it. Have absolutely nothing to do with sin. It sent your Savior to the cross. It incurs the holy wrath of a holy God. Have nothing to do with sin. Sin separates. Sin kills. Romans 6. The wages of sin is death. Physical death. Spiritual death. Eternal death. Words of red from the cross of Christ. They are not only words of sorrow and abandonment, they are also words of humility and humanity. Jesus has cried out in agony, separation, abandonment. John 19, 28, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. I'm thirsty. He humbly expresses his need. I love the Lord. I want you to notice that he always puts the spiritual before the physical. Only after the needs of other people were met does Jesus express his own physical need. Remember the scene of him talking to the woman at the well and his disciples coming up in John 4? They kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. He said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. Always the spiritual is prioritized over the physical in the life of our Lord. Man, do I need to do the same and so do you. Stop being a slave to your appetite. Stop being a slave to your desires. Stop being a slave to your wants. Be a servant to the will of God and be a servant to the work of God. Be a servant to the will of God and be a servant to the work of God and start prioritizing the spiritual over the physical in your life. Too often I'm just selfish. With, with feed me now attitude. My wife just this past Thursday was getting together with a bunch of ladies. She was invited over at someone's house and they were getting together and they made all kinds of food and all kinds of desserts and my wife made this awesome, you know, strawberry bunt cake and, and before she left, I looked at her and I said, hey, hey, honey, if there's anything like really chocolate and decadent, could you bring me home a slice? And she, um, she looked at me and said something along the lines of, this isn't about you. <laughs> and she's totally right! but we tend to make everything about us. We see his humility. We also see his humanity. I'm thirsty. Now, understand Jesus has turned down a previous drink that's been offered in Matthew 27. They gave him wine mixed with gall to drink, but he when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. Same thing in Mark 15, 23. He did not take it. Why? Why didn't he take it the first time he was offered the drink? Because it was fermented. 
because it was a narcotic. It would deaden the pain. And he was going to feel the full weight of the pains for the sins of the world on his sacrifice. Please understand, he says, I'm thirsty. What does that mean? That means Jesus is human. He has a real human body. He is God, yet he is man. He feels pain. He experiences thirst. John 1.14, the word became flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16, he was manifested in the flesh. Philippians 2.7, taking the likeness of humanity when he had become as a man. And as human, he experiences suffering, intense pain, thirst. How thirsty can he be? Well, the crucifixion happened at 9 a.m. He died shortly after at 3 p.m. So he's been on the cross for six hours, being beaten, being crucified. Think about that. This is not including the time beforehand, during the trials, middle of the night, publicly mocked, presented, beaten, led through the streets. I don't know if the Lord was given anything to drink during any of that time. So it could easily be six to 12 hours of no fluids whatsoever, dehydration, being beaten among the elements, blood flowing out of you. And he says, I'm thirsty. This is God with a parched throat and dry lips and a dehydrated body, just desperate for a drop of water. And they would serve him We're told in verse 29 of John 19, they put a sponge full of sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it to his mouth. If you've ever gone to the hospital and seen a patient there, if you've gone to somebody who's on hospice waiting to die, they'll take that swab, just dip it in a little water, and just wet the lips. So it wasn't much. I want you to understand Jesus knows what it is to suffer. You who have had friends abandon you, Jesus understands. You who have faced ridicule, scorn, mocking, and insult, Jesus understands. You whose body has been tormented and you've been in great pain, Jesus understands. Find comfort in the humanity of your God. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He can sympathize but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Your God is human. He understands you. He cares for you. And he can help you and he will help you. Call out to him. Words of red from the cross of Christ. They are also words of completion and victory. In this next passage, you'll see the word finished used twice. John 19, 28. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty in a jar full of sour wine sitting there. They filled the sponge full of sour wine, brought the branch, held it to his mouth. When Jesus had finished the sour wine, he said, it is finished. The first finish refers to the prophecies that are complete. Jesus was meticulous in the care of fulfilling every prophecy. Do you understand? You have a supernatural book. You have an inerrant book that tells the future. You have an infallible revelation from God, full of prophecies, fulfilled in detail. Let your faith take root in the word of the living God. Your God is real. Put your faith in his word. Put your faith in him and treasure the word of the living God. His book is a testament to the miraculous. I'm just going to give you a bunch of the prophecies that are fulfilled just just in the crucifixion. You're talking 500 to 1,000 more years prophetically fulfilled. Betrayed by a friend, a friend who ate his bread, Psalm 41. Abandoned by followers, the sheep will be scattered. Falsely accused in Psalm 35. Silent in the face of opposition, like a lamb led to the slaughter, Isaiah 53. So many in Isaiah 53. 
He was with the wicked and yet with a rich man in his death. He was buried in a rich man's tomb, Isaiah 53. He was guiltless, verse 9 of 53. Numbered among the criminals, verse 12. Again in verse 12, prayed for his enemies. Father, forgive them. He interceded for the rebels. Physically tortured, abused. He gave his back, his face, his cheeks, his face, the scorn, spitting. Mocked and ridiculed in Psalm 31 and Psalm 109. Forsaken by God, a direct quote, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Psalm 22, 1. Mocked and taunted, direct quote by the religious leaders who are quoting scripture not even realizing they're quoting prophecy. Psalm 22, 7 and 8. He relies on the Lord, let him save him, let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. Parched and thirsty, verse 15 of chapter 22 of Psalms. Crucified, verse 16, they pierced my hands and my feet. Gambling for his clothes, verse 18 of 22. Gave him a drink, Psalm 69. Yielded up his spirit. Into your hand I entrust my spirit, Psalm 31. Bones not broken, Psalm 34. Pierced again, Zechariah 12. 20 prophecies detailing the crucifixion of our Lord. That's not by luck, people. There is a God. He has given you his word. He loves you. Please understand that and take faith in his word and read his word and understand you have the very words of the living God given to you for instruction in this life. You don't have to wing it like the rest of this world who doesn't know what in the world they're doing. That's the first finish, prophecies fulfilled. Here's the second one. It is finished. Victory over sin and death is secured. Hallelujah. It's finished. 33 years of focusing on the finish. The cross was the finish line. Tetelestai is the word in the Greek. One word. It is finished. Tetelestai. You know the joy? You know the joy of paying off your mortgage on your home, that last one? I don't know that joy. (laughs) But someday I'm going to have that joy. You know the joy of paying off your car payment? Some of you know that joy. You know the joy of paying off that student loan? Some of you are waiting for the government to do it, but anyway. <laughs> There's such a joy when that debt is paid. To Tetelestai, your sin debt was paid in full. A, a, a debt you could never pay. Salvation has been purchased and secured. Satan has no claim over your soul. You belong outright to God. You are safe. You belong to heaven. You are secure. You belong to eternity. It is finished. John 17. I've glorified you on the earth, Jesus said to the Father, by completing the work you gave me to do. It's not incomplete. There's not still some payments. It's done. The work is complete. There's nothing left to do. Jesus paid the price. Words of read from the cross of Christ. One last phrase. They are words of trust and rest. Luke 23, 44. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three because the sun's light failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And saying this, he breathed his last. One final ounce of strength, he cries out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. You know, the first words on the cross were spoken to the Father. Father, forgive them. And now the last words are spoken to the Father. Into your hands I commit my spirit. So the Father who had turned his face away and abandoned his son is now the Father that Jesus entrusts his spirit to. So their relationship has been restored. Sin has been atoned for. Words of trust, I entrust my spirit. Beautiful words. You can entrust your life here and now to the Lord. He has good hands. And you can entrust your spirit to him when you take your last breath. When you come to the end of your life, your spirit is his. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your spirit is his. And how much better to be in the hands of the Father than the hands of sinful men. Jesus has been in the hands of sinful men He's told us that over and over through the Gospels. I'm being betrayed into the hands of sinful men. 
He is back now in the hands of the Father. Child of God, what good hands to be in. Safe in the eternal hands of the Father. That's where you are, child of God. That's where I am. John 10, I give them eternal life and they'll never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand, said Jesus. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. You are in good hands in the Father's hands. And Jesus breathes his last. And his life was not taken from him. It was freely given. John 10, I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from the Father. John 19, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. And now we wait for Easter Sunday. Words of red from the cross of Christ. Words of mercy and forgiveness, Father, forgive them. Hope in heaven today in paradise. Affection and restoration, your son, your mother. Sorrow and abandonment, why? Humility and humanity, I'm thirsty. Completion and victory, it is finished. Trust and rest. Into your hands I entrust my spirit. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's pray. You're a child of God here today. Would you just thank the Lord for the purchase of your salvation on the cross? Would you just give him praise that every single one of your sins, past, present, and future, Jesus took? Christian, if there's anything in your life right now that you need to repent of and turn from when it comes to sin, do that now. Stop playing with sin. Stop flirting with it. Stop excusing it. Stop blaming others for it. Confess it to God right now. Make it right. He loves you. He'll restore you. He cares for you. He understands you. You're here today, whether online or in person, and you've not placed your faith in the Lord for salvation yet. Would you do that? Today is the day of salvation. Entrust your soul into his care. Call out to him right now. Just use words like these. In the quietness of your heart, call out to him, Lord, I need you. Would you please save me? Thank you for dying for all of my sin. Thank you for loving me. I can't save myself. I trust in your sacrifice on the cross. I place my faith in you alone. Please forgive me of all my sin and save me. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you've been prompted by this message, and are in need of a new beginning, or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit at harvest.church.